The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We are assembled for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry, leadership, and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us comes Sunday. In the spirit of Charles Wesley, we gather, sing, pray, and worship. Unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, truth and love for all to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so come Sunday, the Lord's Day, we pause in prayer together to remember the grace, pardon, forgiveness, and peace of God present to us in a song familiar and true, in a child's voice, kind and caring, in the embrace of a friend, a new friend, a neighbor, in a word spoken and heard. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. As our choir sings with us and for us, may we bow for our silent prayer of confession. Let us pray. So loved we now may love, so forgiven we now may forgive, so inspired we now also may inspire others. Hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the second book of Samuel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5 and 12 through 19. David again gathered all the chosen people of Israel, 30,000. 
David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Utzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the Ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cassonets and cymbals. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the Ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen of ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things, according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 24 with the Antiphon. is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. For he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false, and do not swear deceitfully. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation. Such is the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. (laughs) 
please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. Glory to you, O Lord. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah, and others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, he pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? And she replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the baptizer on a platter. The king was deeply grieved. Yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
please be seated. Our gospel is a grim reminder of the prophetic precursor to Jesus, whose own death prefigures the Lord's. My friend Jennifer Glancy, a celebrated New Testament scholar, once referred to this passage as the only mother and daughter scene in the New Testament, a way of sidestepping its bloody horror with a mordant wry wit, a not unusual reaction to such a gruesome passage. For Mark is foreshadowing the coming cross of Christ by remembering John the Baptist, Jesus' precursor. We can do the same. There are those who at cost have paved the way, affirms our scripture today. As we gather in summer worship this morning here in historic Marsh Chapel, we may take some sustenance from such a reminder and be inspired to remember those who have paved a way for us. Who stands as a true precursor for your life and faith? As in these months and weeks across this great land, a country yet filled with latent goodness, we we brood about violence and prejudice, we may take some sustenance from such a direct reminder of the prophetic spirit, truth spoken for love in the face of adversity. Who risked friendship for you as a friend? As this summer we meditate together upon the mighty theme of the beloved community, we might recall earlier intimations, prophetic voices, which paved our way and cut our trail and made a space and place in grace for our own hopes. And let our remembrances be personal. I have driven to you at dawn this morning along the Mohawk River. It is the same route that John Dempster took in 1839 to give life to Boston University. Let your mind wander with me 15 miles on the Erie Canal. Think back and think west. Think precursors. This region bears the distinction of having given rise to many women and men who did not leave freedom to somebody else. Its price, freedom's price of eternal vigilance, they provided in very daily and very personal and very local very immediate ways, along the Mohawk River, the Erie Canal. This is the land of Hiawatha, whose name means one who causes rivers to run. And such musical names adorn this landscape, Canandaigua, Tiafnioga, Onondaga, Tuscarora. Hiawatha, the great native leader of the Iroquois, showed in the 15th century the critical need for union, for space and time in which to live together. His leadership was focused on common space, on collegial relations, on counsel together, and so he is a harbinger of all the examples of faith and freedom to come up along the Mohawk and the Erie Canal. In in storied 19th century verse, we remember, 
All your strength is in your union, all your weakness in discord. Therefore, be at peace henceforward, and as brothers, live together. This is the land of Harriet Tubman. You may want to visit her home in Auburn, New York. Her neighbor, William Seward, Lincoln's rival and Secretary of State, also from Auburn, bought Alaska, considered at the time a folly, an icebox. Tubman's grandniece, Janet Lowerson, was on our church staff for a time in Syracuse after we had both migrated down from the far north country, not far from the burial place of John Brown, whose body lies moldering under a ski lift near Lake Placid. He and Garrett Smith, founder of Peterborough, were not compatibilists with regarding slavery. As Lincoln would later say, they felt those who most affirmed slavery should start by trying it for themselves. Brown, Smith, Seward, and others were the chorus before which Tubman could sing out the life of freedom following the Underground Railroad. Remember her wisdom. When I had found I had crossed that line on her first escape in 1845, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. There was such a glory over everything. I started with this idea in my head. There's two things I've got a right to, death or liberty. Twasn't me, twas the Lord. I told him, I trust you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me. And he always has done so. Now that we are as far west as Auburn, you will expect to hear something of Frederick Douglass, buried in Rochester. His burial plot is across the street from Strong Hospital there. As one patient said, looking through the window, it gives you something to think about. Douglas printed his newspaper, The North Star, in Rochester, and through it developed a voice for a new people in a new era. Eighty years later at Syracuse University, it was Professor Roland Wolseley who developed the first national program in black journalism. Wolseley himself was formed in the faith under the great preaching of the best Methodist preacher in the 20th century, Ernest Fremont Tittle, when Wolseley's young wife was Tittle's secretary. And Wolseley was our pastor parish chair for 10 years. Digressing for a moment where the veil of Onondaga meets the eastern sky, you might look in the carrier dome at the moving tribute to Ernie Davis, a young man from Elmira, who a century after Douglas and in the lifespan of Wolseley gave tragic, courageous, and lasting embodiment to the common hope of racial justice, harmony, and integration. And he also masterfully played football. The voice of Douglas rings out against the harmonic background of Tittle, Wolseley, Davis, and others. In the North Star, Douglas wrote, the whole history of the progress of human liberty shows that all concessions yet made to her august claims have been born of earnest struggle. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet deprecate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground, who want rain without thunder or lightning, who want the ocean without the awful roar of its mighty waters. 
Susan B. Anthony did not leave the project of freedom to others, I wonder what sort of dinner companion she might have been. Her constant consort with governors and senators across the Empire State made her an early Eleanor Roosevelt. Our grandmother grew up in Cooperstown and graduated from Smith College four years before she had the right to vote. Our mother was born in Syracuse only a few years after full suffrage. My wife is a musician and teacher, my sister a corporate attorney, my closest colleagues in ministry, many are female, and I scratch my head to imagine a world without their voices. Syracuse also produced Betty Bone Sheese, one of the first women ordained to ministry in the Protestant Episcopal Church in 1974, one of the Philadelphia Eleven. We study her now in Introduction to Religion. One rainy day when my daughter Emily was 13 and had the flu, she and I met Sheese at the druggist. The pharmacist called her name, Betty Bone Sheese. I clamored over to investigate whether it were she, the famous one, who wants to know, she replied. After she left and after good banter, she turned in her slicker and toting an umbrella, pronounced this blessing, one day you will become a Methodist bishop. I was about to reply when I realized she was speaking to Emily. Thank you, my daughter replied. Think about precursors whose prophetic voices and costly faithfulness paved your way. We may need such a brief reminder this summer that real change is real hard, but it comes in real time when real people really work at it. So, you may visit the birthplace of suffrage and feminism in Seneca Falls. Anthony's witness stands out among the witness of so many others. Your grandmother, your mother, your sister, your wife, your daughter, your pastor, Betty Bone Sheese, and so many others. Who can forget the motto of Susan B. Anthony on her 86th birthday, 1906? Failure is impossible. Or her warning, cautious, careful people always casting about to preserve their reputation and social standing never can bring about reform. Those who are really in earnest must be willing to be anything or nothing in the world's estimation. Of course, not everything along the Mohawk River was perfect or turned out right. Exuberance can produce minor collisions. I talked to you briefly about sexual experimentation along the Mohawk, a long time before the summer of love. Woodstock paled by comparison with the communal experiments along the Erie Canal during the 19th century. The Shaker community and the Oneida community perhaps can bracket our discussion. Under Mother Ann Lee and starting in farm country near New Lebanon, Albany area, not far from Tanglewood and our BU musical program there, the shaking Quakers firmly and unequivocally together addressed the matter of sex. They forbade it. Like the Desert Fathers and Qumran communities of old, they took Paul at his word and meditated fully on 1 Corinthians 7, that those who have wives live as if they had none. 
In the Shaker community, women and men came together only once a week in worship on Sunday morning for ecstatic singing and dancing like David in the ephod before the ark, hence their name, Shakers. This made church attendance somewhat more than casual liturgical observance, and I understand that attendance was quite good. However, the practice did not amplify the community. Infant baptisms lacked the the requisite infant and so were infrequent. Consequently, the Shakers moved to Cleveland, where they blended into Sherwood Anderson's new Ohio, returning to the old ways of industry, monogamy, frugality. In short, they became Methodists. Here again, the Shaker too. When true simplicity is gain, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. Now to the Oneidas, you may want to read the book Without Sin, the best review in our generation of their somewhat different experiment. Also along the Erie Canal, the Oneida community set out to find heaven on earth, the end of all oppressions, and even the hope that, as John Humphrey Noyes read from Revelation, death itself will be no more. Although I went to high school in Oneida, I do not recall a full lesson on the matter of stirpiculture, the heart of the Oneida experiment. The Oneidas practiced complex marriage in which every man was married to every woman and vice versa, and sexual relations were freely permitted as long as the men practiced consonance to avoid pregnancy. Procreation was planned through a deliberate committee process in the hope of producing a finer human being. For those of you for whom this is more information than you require or want, I apologize. 300 in number at their greatest growth, the community produced bear traps and then silver, continuing in some fashion until just a few years ago. Afterward, got out about the doings and practices in Oneida, clergy in Syracuse banded together and ran them out of town, first to Canada and then to the Midwest. Noise died on the trip and the community disappeared, except in some of the silver on your dinner table or in wedding gifts or in various restaurants. Let us remember, though, the love of freedom, as Noyes expressed it, if we, even if we cannot affirm his methods. Said he, I am free of sin and in a state of perfection. Precursors remind us of what can be done. Another is this drum along the Mohawk, one you will find perhaps an unlikely name to include, that of Norman Vincent Peale. When we were at Union Seminary in New York some years ago, the faculty there both regularly and rightly criticized the inadequate theology of the Marble Collegiate Church. I remember James Sanders sternly referring to this famed congregation as the first church of Marduk, not an accolade, not a word of praise. Of course, you know that for 50 years, a graduate of Boston University and Ohio Wesleyan and a proponent of the power of positive thinking, held forth without notes from that very pulpit at Marble Collegiate. His son-in-law, Arthur Caliandro, followed him with notes. You may not trust his theology. I myself am a critic, schooled as I was in the doer German realism of Tillich, Niebuhr, and company. You may find it too shallow. Everybody has their criticism of Norman Vincent Peale. Even Adlai Stevenson had his gripes. 
When attacked by Peel, Stevenson defended his Christianity on the basis of the Apostle to the Gentiles, all this in 1956, and rounded out his peroration thus, Sir, I am a Christian. As such, I find Paul appealing, but Peel appalling. You too may find Paul appealing, but Peel appalling. But hold this one thought. Peel began his preaching a stone's throw from where my morning drive and this morning's sermon began in Syracuse at University Methodist Church. He found there a happy people. He found there a positive people. He found there a hopeful people. He found there an optimistic congregation. Why, they were so good to him that he relaxed and he fell in love and he married a Syracuse University co-ed, Ruth. And my old good friend Forrest Whitmire, a graduate of Boston Latin, knew them both well. It was that native Buckeye spirit, Norman, married to that native orange soul, Ruth, that produced the power of positive thinking, itself a form of faith and freedom not to be entirely forgotten. A time or two in the course of a full ministry, we might just want to remember Peel positively. The Peels, Ruth and Norman both, did not leave the project of freedoms to somebody else. It is biblical and faithful to remember Peel's seven most important words. You can if you think you can. Yes, you can. Intimations of a beloved community. God was in Christ reconciling the world to God's self. The faith of Jesus Christ and the freedom of Jesus Christ we offer to you today, those near and those far. As Paul's student writing in Ephesians put it, in Christ we have also obtained an inheritance so that we might live for the praise of his glory. Our forebears were disinclined to leave the pursuit of freedom to others. They seized freedom in their own hands and by their own lives. They did not wait on others. They did not pause to seek a secret blessing. They did not wait until some ethereal sign emerged. They did not expect some magic insight. They preferred deliverance to diffidence. They glimpsed and then followed after intimations of a beloved community. Beloved, in earshot of our Lord's teaching, in remembrance of the freedom and faith in our shared past, and especially on this Lord's Day, there is no avoiding a personal question. As a Christian man or woman, what am I going to do to continue to expand the circle of freedom in our time? Where is my tribal council to create? Where is my slavery to escape? Where is my North Star to publish? Where is my franchise to find? Where is my libertinism to avoid? Where is my hope to share? How will I lift a hand? And take heart. Have you watched the dawn lately? This morning I drove east along the Mohawk River into a full black sky, darker than a hundred midnights down in a cypress swamp. It seemed forever before there was any light. But somewhere around 5 a.m., imperceptibly, very gradually, 
Black became dark blue. Dark blue became misty gray. Gray became a lightened blue. And finally, blue a bright sun. Little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit, dawn came like the glory of the morning on the wave. For all that Mohawk River water falls finally into the ocean, running at the feet of Emma Lazarus' poem. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the restless refuse of your teeming shore. Send these the lost, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. We come to a time in our service every week when we join together as a community of prayer. Please adopt a posture of prayer that is most comfortable to you, be that sitting, standing, or kneeling at the altar rail. As the choir leads us in singing our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord, please join in this prayerful, beloved community. lift up each petition of prayer and conclude with God of love and mercy, you may respond, hear our prayer. Gracious God, our dearest friend and ultimate beloved, we come to you this morning to pray for the seasons of our lives, for grace in transition, for peace in chaos, and community in the face of fear and loneliness. Hear these prayers and so many more that we keep silently within ourselves as we lift our hearts to your ears in love. God of love and mercy, hear our prayer. For the fresh springtime of our journey, we pray for wisdom, courage, and energy. When the rains fall heavy at times, Remind us that blossoms come forth from the damp earth. When we feel afraid in the face of a new beginning, give us strength and remind us of your eternal presence in every moment. When we feel restless, tired, ill, and aching in our soul, enliven us, empower us, give us energy. 
God of love and mercy, hear our prayer. For the bright, warm summer of our journey, we pray for peace, passion, and creativity. When the busyness of our daily lives wears on us, remind us that in summer we have longer days of sunshine that is a gift to enjoy moments of peace and bliss. When we find ourselves rutted in endless routine, may we find passion and compassion in your presence on our earth and the people that we meet. When we feel lost, alone, and listless, give us a seed of creativity that might sprout and grow into a new joyful project. God of love and mercy, hear our prayer. For the colorful autumn of our journey, we pray for kindness, inspiration, and bountiful harvest. When life feels slow, quiet, and we have deeper moments of thought and consideration, remind us of the kindness we have seen in a stranger's face, in an act of hospitality, in the eyes of a loved one. When we feel as though we are running out of steam, when we are underemployed, overemployed, and exhausted, may we find inspiration and look to our beloved community to inspire us. When joys, pleasures, and delights arrive on our doorstep, may we praise God for the bountiful harvest that is our life. God of love and mercy, hear our prayer. For the clear, cold winter of our journey, we pray for community, reflection, and playfulness. When we sink into our deepest, darkest moments of despair, may you remind us of our community, of those friends and family who love us and care for us, and who lift us out of the darkness and into the light. When the nights are long and our candles burn low, create in us a pause, a still moment, a time to reflect on life's journey. And when we feel trapped, dull, blue, or cold-hearted, instill in us a sense of divine playfulness, a chance to recognize the light side of life and the beauty and frivolity. God of love and mercy, hear our prayer. We lift these prayers to you now, O God. You are both mother and father to us, our strength and shield and we join together to pray as your son Jesus has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We welcome you once again here to the Nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We hope you will join us following the service today downstairs in the Marsh Room for a moment of celebration of the Reverend Brittany Longstorff and her two years of ministry here at Boston University as University Chaplain for International Students. This is her last Sunday with us, and we are bidding her a very fond farewell. Then at 1245, back up here in the nave, we hope you will join us for the baptisms of Caleb and Joshua Fomby Hall, sons of Captain Brian Hall of the a U.S. Army chaplain and Elizabeth Fomby Hall, our former director of hospitality here at Marsh Chapel. That'll start about 1245 here in the nave. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate upon Johann Christian Bach's Der Gerechte ob er gleich zu Zeitlig stirbt. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Blessed are you, O God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts, ourselves, our time, and our possessions. Use us and what we have gathered in feeding the world with your love, through the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. support us all the day long of this troublous life until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. And in thy mercy grant us a safe rest, a happy lodging, peace at the last, through Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs> 